0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keen the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is November the 2nd, 2023, uh, a Thursday. We're doing a show today on the two Gs, grief. And grievance. Uh, These seem to be the two words dominating our political discourse, one way or the other. A sense of deep sorrow and of deep anger. Grief is of sorrow, grievance is of anger, a sense of perception of real or imagined wrongs. Uh, My guest today on the show, Juliet Hooker, is a professor of political science at Brown University. She has a new book out, very interesting new book, called Black Grief, White Grievance, The Politics of Loss. It's specifically a book about uh, grief and grievance in in the United States, uh, built on the black and white communities, but perhaps it could be also applied universally outside the United States. Uh, Juliet Hooker is joining us from... Rhode Island, Providence, where she teaches at Brown University. Julia, welcome.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, Juliet, can we universalize this? Uh, We obviously want to talk about the politics of American loss and black grief and white grievance in an American context. But I just did a show, for example, on the situation in Gaza, Palestine, Israel. And it seems as if some of the issues that you address in your book could be equally applied there and indeed in many other parts of the world.
1: Well, I think there are some questions that I raise in the book, which um, is primarily concerned with the history of um, how loss has been mobilized politically in the United States, particularly in the 19th and 20th century. Um, But I think there are some questions that I raise in the book about how people mobilize around loss, how grief can become a force in in politics that I think, you know, um, are questions that we might be able to ask in other contexts. For example, you know, whose losses are immediately visible? Whose losses do we immediately think need to be attended to? And who are the people who need to make extra effort for their losses to be seen and for us to, to care about them? So why do we require some people to have to prove their humanity in order for us to care about their losses and also ask ourselves questions around you know the various strategies with which we try to represent loss and how those losses sometimes are are unrepresentable right so the you know the the move to to sort of tell the stories of the people um for example who've died um, but then that also Means that we're asking families, right, who are grieving, to 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 share their suffering and their pain in order for us to really be able to empathize. Um, and um, and so it's it's not a critique of, of of that strategy. It's more a question about why we need this. Why we need you know. Um, photographs of, of, of dead children in order to be persuaded to care about some of the suffering. So I think those are some of the, the questions that I raise in the book based on U.S. examples that we might think about in other contexts as well.
0: The history of, of our species is of course in some sense is a history of grief and of grievance, but is there something peculiarly modern about our obsession with both grieving and having grievance uh, or, or do you think I, I'm, I, you're a political scientist rather than a historian but i assume you've written and read um quite deeply into this subject given you've just written this book um what previous pre-modern civilizations as obsessed we are as we are with this with the two g's with grieving and with grievance
1: well one thing um you know that that you know is certainly true is that loss is a universal human experience right people have been have been losing things losing loved ones um since the beginning of time i and um so in, in that sense i think you know um that's a constant of human life but i think there are ways in which we might think about um the the Um, you know, the moment in which we find ourselves in or or sort of, you know, this, the, you know, kind of modern politics is in many ways, I think um, a set of um, really that loss and mobilizing around loss has been quite central um, to it. I mean, if you think about something like the nation state, right, which is um, the, you know, so many, um, nationalisms have been mobilized by the sense of, of um, what I call in the book, in Black Refight Grievance, I call it, um, you know, these claims around anticipatory loss, this idea that something will be lost. If you think about the, you know, the, the claims during World War II that Germany needed to expand because they needed um, that in order to survive, right? So these are claims about um, future loss that then are used to justify um, you know, uh, contemporary politics, and so I think perhaps one of the the things that you're thinking about, or that's motivating your question, is is that national nationalisms, right, um, are often motivated by this by comparing themselves to others, or by the right, the loss of um, you know a nation, or a you know a state, or or wanting one in the future, and so there is this this. Um, I think this way in which you might think about particularly nationalist politics is really being animated by by grief and grievance.
0: I wonder whether there's also a a kind of Tocquevillean element here. Tocqueville, of course, famously said that you tend to get revolutions when things get a little better, when people begin to realize what they've lost or what their situation is. And I wonder whether it's the same with grief and grievance, that actually, in reality, in the 2020s, some people might argue, most people have less reason to be full of either grief or grievance, and yet they are. In other words, when things get a little better, this only compounds these emotions, both on the white and the black front, and on the American and the international front. I'm not limiting this to any group or or nationality.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I mean, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to maybe um, focus on the 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 Black American experience for a minute in, in order mm. to answer. I was it. thinking particularly um, of
0: that one actually,
1: right? Because it's undeniable, right? That you know that of course the situation of, of African Americans today is much better than it was say. Um, during slavery or during uh, the era of, of Jim Crow racial segregation. Um, but I think on the other hand, um, there are these patterns that recur and, and these ways in which certain structural forms of racism remain quite entrenched, right? So the you know the most recent um, um, you know uh, issue that galvanized black protests is, is police violence, which, continues to kill black people disproportionately and you have all these other ways in which we might look at you know um, disparities in wealth that persist um, you know um, differences in in um, educational um, outcomes or in um, in acts you know in in medical care access to health care so I think one of the things that you see is that there yes there's been progress but there's also you know, this recurring pattern, if you will, of, um, of Black people dying, of being denied um, equal citizenship, and so that mobilizes people. Um, and I think that um, what's interesting is, is thinking about um, what are, the, what are the, the kinds of losses that we're able to attend to, right? So why does it take something like a, a spectacular act of violence, right? A, a, a police officer um you know, killing an unarmed person for us to pay attention as opposed to perhaps more routine ways in which, um, you know, people die as a result, for example, of food deserts that lead to, um, you know, health conditions like diabetes and you know, all of these ways in which we don't pay attention in some ways to quotidian, right? Um, ways in which in, in which people are, are still dealing with very real um,
0: challenges. We are speaking with Juliet Hooker, a professor of political science at Brown University and the author of an intriguing new book, Black Grief, White Grievance, The Politics of Loss. So Juliet, we began with a, a more universal global approach to this, but let's get into America because the book is about America, both Black Grief and White Grievance. Let's uh, start with your subtitle, The Politics of Loss. Is that the general mm-hmm. politics that defines America, both black and white America, this politics of loss? What exactly does that mean?
1: Yeah, so the book is really um trying to look at political loss. You know, earlier I said that loss is a universal human experience, but not all losses are political. And so what I'm concerned with in the book is, is political losses, which are, um, losses, for example, that are the result of state action or inaction, right? So if there's, um, you know, something that the state could have done to prevent, um, you know, let's say, uh, uh you know, um, your house burning down, or you know, or there was there was some sort of lapse by on the state, on the part of the state, or there are things that the state actively did, right? So if, if a black neighborhood was destroyed in order to make way for a highway, and that had repercussions on on you know black homeowners and the black community, um, and so those are some of the ways in which losses become political, and then also um, losses become political because people mobilize around them, right? So, um, so there's mobilization in order for, to get people to care about, um, issues that they may not have thought, um, required their attention. Um, you know, this is, this goes beyond, um, you know, race. If you think about, for example, the AIDS pandemic and the work that, um, uh, queer activists had to do to make, um, people pay attention and, 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 and put resources towards trying to, um, to find a cure and to um, really take it seriously. So part of what the book is trying to do is to say, you know, if we're looking at political loss, how do people respond to it? And how do they mobilize in response to various forms of loss? And what have been the patterns in the history of the United States that have been so deeply racialized in um, in how loss has been distributed unequally, and then how people have responded to it.
0: There'll be some people who will see this book and this conversation, listen to this convers- conversation, and say, maybe there's some generalization one can make about the racialized nature of grief and grievance, but they would argue there are many whites. Who are full of grief and many blacks who are full of grievance. How would you respond to that?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, the I'm not suggesting that that right that grief is solely the domain of black people and 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 um, and whites are the only persons who who um, who are grieved. What I am arguing is that. Um, when you look at the the history of the United States, we see a pretty clear pattern where um, where it takes a kind of a, a heroic level of activism for on the part primarily, although not only of uh, black people for there to be progress towards racial justice. We saw this, um, you know, with the civil rights movement, which has become a kind of iconic example of, of successful civil disobedience, um, and um, and of course the, the the emotions that were driving that or the responses weren't just grief. It was also anger at injustice. You know, all of these. Um, um, you know, um, Martin Luther King Jr. would have said also love, right? Or um, but but. At the same time as you have these moments of, of progress towards racial justice, the other pattern has been that that those moments of progress have immediately been met with backlash, and um, and this has not been you know um, not all white citizens have participated in these moments of racist backlash. But it has been predominantly a sense um, by some sectors of um, of the white public in the United States at these moments that, you know, that gains for black people are losses for them and is a displacement of their rightful um, place at the center of U.S. politics. And so they have responded by. Um, with a sense of, of 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 white victimhood um and um and tried to to erode those Julia let me
0: jump in here um we've done many shows on Reagan and Nixon and the mm. the transformation if that's the right word of the Republican Party do you see Nixon and particularly Reagan. We've done shows with Rick Perlstein, many other historians, historians, and think phil- p- political scientists, who I'm sure you're familiar with. On this, do you see the shift within the Republican Party as uh, out of the civil rights? You talked about the civil rights movement of the '60s mm-hmm. as one essentially of white grievance.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that when we look at those victories in the 1960s, they're immediately followed by deep, um, resistance and, and that resistance plays out in subsequent decades, right. With the, you know, the emergence, um, you know, by the 1970s of of, of Nixon, the, you know, um, the Southern strategy, right. This, this, um, the way in which race becomes and a particular kind of racial politics becomes, you know, not just subtext, but really um, very central to the appeal of um, of the Republican Party. And of course, Reagan ramped, you know, that is all ramped up significantly um, during the Reagan administration. And so I think this is, um, you know, one of the things that um, that is, I think, important to, to do in contemporaneous politics is not to see the current moment as an aberration, right, but to see, you know, um, white grievance as something that isn't new, that has been mobilized and intentionally mobilized politically for quite a long time. How
0: would you make sense of somebody like Richard Nixon? Uh, On the one hand, he was a man defined by grievance. It's clear in terms of the writing on him. We've done a number of shows on him. But his grievance was directed towards everyone—whites, blacks, mm-hmm. Jews—in particular. He didn't like, um, and in some ways, his legislative, his legislative record would probably put him in the in the Democratic Party today. Whereas Reagan is different; he didn't seem to have any grievance, and yet, in many ways, he was more overtly racist than, than Nixon. Does it depend on the politician, or, or are all these people, in a sense, prisoners? Of a history that they don't quite understand.
1: Um, yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. I think what I would say is that they, you know, that um, that there is a a kind of um, ideological construction um, that you can trace that begins to, you know, that that. I think um, really, um, in some ways, um, is, a, is a through line, even if it presents itself in different ways um, in, in Nixon and Reagan. Um, and this is something that is, you know, I think um, is, is still very important in Republican politics, even as, as certain you know, positions have changed. But this sort of idea that, you know, that there are these imminent threats. And sometimes they're from, you know, racial others within. And, and sometimes they're from, you know, um, immigrants or or at some point, you know, the the Soviet Union, communism, what you will. But there's a sense, right, of, of um, that um, the project is really this nostalgic project in some ways. This is, I think, particularly true in the case of Reagan, of, you know, of, you know, of, of, you know, of of going back to this moment of of the the sort of glory days of the United States. And part of that project, I mean, when you look at the domestic um, policies um, that Reagan pursued, I mean, they're very much about, you know, sort of um, gutting the welfare state. Um, This is the moment from, you know, this has been covered by a number of, of, of scholars of, you know, from starting with Nixon, right? The rise of mass incarceration that there are, ways in which the response to the civil rights victories, I mean, speaking specifically in terms of race, become these ways of, of um, you know, still managing and keeping um, non-white and particularly black populations subordinate through different means. And so I guess that's what I would say in terms of, of uh, racial politics that I see as the, the through line.
0: And then on the other hand, uh, uh, Juliet, if if the Republican Party has become, as you suggested, the party of white grievance, the the, the Richard Nixon-Ronald Reagan party, would it be fair to say that the Democrats in some senses has become the party of black grief or certainly of grief generally?
1: Um, I would say they're the party of, of black grief. I would say that at this moment in, in U.S., Politics. They're the only party that um, that has a, a genuine multiracial coalition, right? So they are, um, you know, because of the way the Republican Party has solidified around this um, around white grievance, it's it's really limited their their reach beyond a, a certain, you know. Um, constituency. And so really you have this unfortunate situation where you have one party that really has a, a multiracial coalition be, and, rep, you know, represents to a certain extent the the interests of that coalition and another that, that has a pretty homogeneous base. Um, and so, um, you know, I think there's Black voters who have, um, you know, a lot of critiques of the Democratic Party and who feel like they get taken for granted. Um, um, by democrats certainly but i think what's undeniable is the you know the the sort of racial sorting that has happened in terms of the two political parties so that now you know um and in fact the interesting thing is that the multiracial nature of the democratic coalition of its voters then becomes fodder for these um these claims of white grievance that you know that they are losing elections because the wrong kind of people are voting or because people whose um whose votes really shouldn't um have the same weight are um are propelling democrats to victory
0: i want to take a short break in a second juliet but before we do and after the break i want to talk about how we address some of this stuff because this is not just a critique this book it's it's offering a uh, uh, a path forward of of getting beyond this, of exca- of escaping both black grief and white grievance. You call for an expansion of it, the imagination. That 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 call is self evident with the Republican Party. Are you suggesting then that the Democratic Party doesn't need a, a a similar expansion of the imagination? That it that it's okay. It's only the one side of the political aisle that has a problem with this.
1: Um, so I guess when I talk about, I mean, I I just want to clarify that when I call for the political, the expansion of the political imaginations, I talk about it in terms of, um, you know, arguing that, um, whites need to learn to accept loss and not respond to it by mobilizing, um, in terms of white grievance and that black people also should refuse the expectations that they will be political heroes and will do um, the work um, to make the US more racially egalitarian that is so important for um, the survival and the thriving of US democracy. So that's what I I talk about in the book. I think what that means is a number of, of different things. I think in terms of the, you know, I think you see, I, you know, speaking specifically about the Democratic Party, I think what you see is, um, you know, there's a real um, tug of war, if you will, between some people who I think really get um, the threats that U.S. democracy is facing right now, and then others who I think feel like if we can just get back to Following the rules and and get back to sort of regular order, everything will be okay. And so I think that the threat or the challenge there is is saying, you know, um, U.S. democracy wasn't doing well before Trump, and it's not just a matter of getting um, people back to um, you know to um, to following the rules, but how do you expand? your account of of what needs to change to make the u.s more fully democratic
0: well you say that uh we need to get democracy one publication that does get democracy is a wonderful new quarterly Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics they're supporting the show and everyone actually including uh, juliet hooker appears on the show will get an annual subscription i'm going to run a short ad for Liberties. And then I'm going to come back with uh, Juliet Hooker, the author of Black Grief, White Grievance, The Politics of Loss, to talk more about this expansion of the imagination and who and what we can learn. So we'll be back in a second. Don't go away, anyone. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties, it's not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens, politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought, a quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We're speaking with Juliet Hooker, the author of Black Grief, White Grievance. Julia. Uh, Sorry, Juliet. you've talked about something called the expansion um, of black and white political imaginations. Where do we find this? Do we need to go back to previous writings? Do we need to reread the classics? I know there are one or two people you think can be quite helpful in terms of getting us beyond both black grief and white grievance in, in the America of the 2020s.
1: Yes. Yeah, so the book is really um, drawing, particularly, on African American um, thinkers um, to really try to think through this question of, of how we should um, respond to loss or how we can do it more p- productively. And um, you know, one example that is is really central to the the argument in the book is um, in chapter three. I look at the work of um, Harriet Jacobs, who was, of course, a, a, a woman who escaped slavery and and, and wrote one of the um, first slave narratives written by a woman um, in the United States, and um, and then um, Ida B. Wells, the um, you know uh, journalist, um, anti-lynching crusader, activist um, for many causes, who um, I argue. Do this really important work of of balancing grief and grievance, right? So one of the, you know, one of the things that I identify as a problem in 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 how we we often approach loss is is this requirement that groups whose losses aren't visible do this, offer up their pain or their suffering, um, in order for us to. Um, in order to motivate people to, um, to empathize and to, to try to act in to their suffering, and, um, and of course, this carries costs and raises questions about how do you do that? How do you tell those kind of stories of, of pain and suffering ethically? And I argue that Jacobs and, and Wells really do a, um, a masterful job of balancing grief and grievance, of, of telling these stories of um, of pain, of violence, um, but doing so in a way that still keeps our attention on the lives of, of, um, and the humanity of the people who, who are suffering. And so they're, you know, they're making an appeal, they're calling for justice for the wrongs that they have identified, but they also make decisions about what to, what not to reveal and, and how to, um, how to tell those stories in an ethical way that I think are, are very relevant for our for present moment.
0: Uh, Jacobs, of course, Harriet Jacobs, and uh, Ida B. Wells are both African-American women. Are they as relevant, in your view, for whites and blacks, or are you using Jacobs and, and Wells more as models for... Uh, blacks to get beyond their own fixation with grief
1: well i wouldn't say that um i'm calling for or i wouldn't say that i'm calling for black people to get beyond their fixation with grief i think what i would say i'm criticizing or at least not criticizing the thing i'm trying to draw attention to is that you know um grief has played a key role in mobilizing um um black activism, black politics, um, and the cause of, of, of racial justice in the United States, but that, that activism comes at a cost. So part of what I'm, I'm saying is that, you know, as much as we can laud, we can honor certain kinds of grieving activism, we also need to attend to its costs. Um, and that, uh, and that, um, you know when we assume or we expect black people, such as for example Mamie Till Radley, the mother of Emmett Till, um, you know whose decision to have an open casket funeral for her son is is credited with having really galvanized the civil rights movement, that there are enormous costs that come with that. Um, that work, even if people feel called to do it. And that, um, and so part of what I'm trying to say is that we will only have allowed Black people to be fully human when we don't expect them or we don't need them to become activists after the death of their loved ones or or when, frankly, they stop, their loved ones aren't being killed anymore. Um, but I think we can all learn lessons from the ways in which you know, I think Black thinkers have approached loss. For example, um, I think one of the things that um, whites can learn from this tradition is is that you know um, African American thinkers haven't been able to be nostalgic, right? There is no previous era that they could look back to and say, this was a, a you know, a time when, when we, mm. that we should return to because, you know, it was less racist. And so they've had to be, they can't be nostalgic for the past. And they, you know, they are also quite clear that the future is, is, is not a given either. And so they, I argue um, you know had to learn how to both continue to do the, their work right to work towards um uh racial justice while being aware of contingency being aware um that there was no assurance that their um their aims would be met during their lifetimes and i i, I argue that you know that kind of determination um that's also aware of uncertainty and that is is able to to manage that is actually really quite helpful in terms of of how we respond to loss.
0: We've been doing a series in association with C-SPAN Juliet recently, uh, the 10 books that shaped America. A couple of weeks ago, Mm -hmm. uh, we did the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, uh, one Mm -hmm. of the great books and one of the great writers and thinkers in, Amer- in the American tradition, Frederick Douglass. I know you think he can be valuable as well as another great African-American uh, thinker and writer, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois. H- how can these two men bring some clarity and help to our, our politics of mm-hmm. loss and getting beyond the grief and the grievance that seem to be corroding our politics?
1: Yeah, no. So um, Du Bois and Douglas are also very important um, um, in in the book. In particular, you know, one of the things that I I, I turn to um, I, I turn to both of them in the chapter in which I try to to sketch the you know the the various elements of, of white grievance. And one of those elements that I talk about in the book is this um, the this sense that um, you know, that we should think about politics as this kind of zero-sum gain, zero-sum, you know, situation in which the gains of one group are a loss for others. And I argue that this is how um, whites in general have been, um, you know, have been trained to, to, to experience politics in the United States, right? So if there are Black gains, that is immediately felt as a loss for white people as opposed to you know, no, maybe this is, this is something that they deserve. This is something that is correcting an injustice. This isn't taking anything away from me. And I turned to Douglas because, you know, he had this, this, um, um, this moment after the, um, the abolition of slavery in the U S and, and after African-American men had, um, had won the right to, to suffrage, to be able to vote. And he, um, you know and he's making fun of um of people who are who are wondering okay what happens now that black men have the right to vote and and he's he mocks people who are have this um you know the fear of a black emperor who's going to rule over the united states and have this multi-hued court and will be um you know and and blacks will be dominant suddenly because slavery no longer exists and i argue that what we saw during um, the um, the presidency of Barack Obama was a similar fear of black supremacy, right? That the mere fact of one, um, you know, one um, black person winning this political office, which yes, was the highest one in the land, but certainly didn't mean that, um, you know, Black people had control over the, the whole political apparatus, that that was perceived or was experienced um, by many as as a loss, as, a, as a, a way in which, um, you know, white had been dislocated from their um, central place in, in, in the United States, that it, it um, challenged um, the, the expectation of white priority. And so I think Douglas is really interesting um for thinking about, you know, how do we move past the sense that, you know, we have to think about loss in this zero sum way.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think both. Well, obviously, uh uh the 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 two women that you write about are, are most important, Harriet Jacobs, uh and Ida Wells, but I think also uh W.E.B. Du Bois and um uh Frederick Douglass, they're they're quintessentially American thinkers, they're in many ways. We talked about this on our C-SPAN show. They're really founding American thinkers. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't agree with you more. What about on the uh on the black side in terms of getting beyond? I mean, maybe you, you want to correct me. Um, you said it's not so much getting beyond black grief, but it's calibrating it in somehow. Are there white writers who you think, just as, 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 as white Americans should be looking at Wells and Jacobs and, and Du Bois and, and Douglas? are there white writers that um, you think uh, black Americans should read or look at or white thinkers that are valuable here to, to try and calibrate all this?
1: Yeah, so there are a number of, um, uh, I think in particular, um, you know, uh, political theorists that I, that I write about in the book, you know, one of perhaps the most unexpected ones in some ways, um, to draw lessons from is, is Hannah Arendt, who is, you know, becomes, right, starts out as a European, but becomes an American. And, um, I write about her in the second chapter when I'm looking at, um, the, the, the history of Black protests and the way in which, um, you know, um, there are these outsized expectations of how um, black activists will protest and will um, conduct their activism. And, um, and, you know, and Arendt has been, you know, rightfully um, critiqued for this essay that she writes about, um, you know, the struggles for um, school desegregation and um, and in particular, this, this, there's this essay called infamous essay called Reflections on Little Rock, um, and you know many of her contemporaries critique her her take, you know, on, um, on on desegregation efforts, which is quite negative and quite critical of the black parents and the NAACP that um, that allow children to be on the front lines of these struggles. And she has this line where she says, you know, um, she's looking at this, she saw this picture in the newspaper of um, one of the young women who was integrating high school. And she says, you know, she was asked to be a hero. And of course, her critique is that, you know, children shouldn't be taking on these political activities that are the purview of adults. But I use that in the, in the book to say, well, who do we ask to be heroes? And maybe Arendt had a point, even though it's different from the one that she intended to say, when we look at um, you know, um, how social change happens, of whom do we have these expectations that they're gonna play these heroic roles that um, move us closer towards overcoming things like, um, Racism, etc., um, and so she's one of the people that I that I write about, um, as well as a number of, of um, you know contemporary political theorists. Um, um, another person that I think is is really interesting is um, I cite this this book um, by uh, Joel Olson, who um, uh, is a contemporary political theorist who who writes drawing on Du Bois about how white supremacy has really narrowed the political imaginations of white citizens and that, um, you know, this has been to their detriment as well. Um, And and so they, you know, they have um, come to support these policies in the name of of protecting their, their place at the center of US politics that actually are to their detriment as well. Final question, so, uh,
0: Juliet. You've written, as it's most political thinkers I think in America have, on cancel culture. Um, you, you've given a lot of thought to it. You've given seminars. We did a show uh, recently, a couple of shows actually, on the canceling of the American mind, how cancel culture, quote, unquote, undermines trust and threatens us all. Does this connect do you think with black grief and white grievance our inability to get beyond the politics of loss which is explaining the profound intolerance of public life in america today if, if we can if we can get get if we can do away with the boundary on your book between black grief and white grievance then are we going to live in a in, in a place which is uh, in a democracy, which is more tolerant and open?
1: Hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, I do think that we, you know, we've had some, you know, we're living in this moment where there have been these, these kind of, um, you know, um, cancel culture panics and, and also, um, you know, um, um, panics around, right, how history is being taught, right, critical race, the supposed infiltration of critical race theory into, into public, um, into public schools. Um, but I think one of the things that is, um, you know, that we can, um, learn about these, these moments is, um, is that i think they're really driven as by what i call in the book um symbolic loss right so often when we talk about what motivates people who are you know um, whites in particular who are racially resentful and who respond to certain kinds of, of of um of appeals is that it's driven by material loss but one you know by Economic uncertainty and precarity, and one of the things that I write about in the book is that I think we actually also need to pay attention to symbolic loss, to the ways in which people are often mobilized by um, a sense of displacement that comes actually from these kind of this you know this um, fear about what their children are being taught in schools and and whether that will make them if, you know, if they learn different values, this will, you know, um, alienate them from their parents or, or, and so I think that there's a really interesting way in which, um, a lot of what's happening, um, in the United States right now is, is really about, um, you know, there's been to a certain extent, I think, a, a democratization of, um, of the ways in which people tell the story of the United States and this is this is creating a lot of tension.